great weekend so far. We're really glad you could start a new week with us, worshiping God together here at Great Oaks. We appreciate you being here. We have a lot of visitors here like we always do. Uh, we're thankful that you're here. Uh, please let us know if we can help you in any way. We always like to tell our visitors who we're trying to be. Uh, we are simply trying to be Christians. We put Church of Christ on the sign because we only want to follow Jesus Christ. We don't want to follow uh, any man-made idea or any people. We just want to follow Jesus. We're trying to help each other follow Jesus. And so if you have any questions about that, um, please let us know. We'd love for you to join us in that, to show the world it's possible to simply be Christians that follow Jesus Christ together. So we're glad you're here. We hope we get to meet you before you leave. If you're visiting, uh, we're really glad you're here with us today. One thing I want to point out that we're excited about before we jump into our lesson today. Two weeks from tonight, we have our focus team reorganization for 2023. So every January is focus team sign-up season here at Great Oaks. If you're new um, and we don't know what focus teams are, let me say a few things about those. We've been blessed with a lot of new faces in the last few years, and this is one of the best ways we have to connect with each other. We, we want to get in smaller groups so we can know each other better as well as possible, and focus groups are a great way to do it. So here's how it works. What we try to do with focus groups, if you sign up, we group people, at least the last few years we've done it this way, in similar life stages. Now we have other uh, programs that try to get us intergener intergenerationally blended together. Uh, things like our Bible study small groups do that. But focus groups... Uh, we'll try to get people of similar ages, life stages together. And so it's an opportunity. That's one of the best first steps to get to know people. When you're new at a congregation or if you're just going through the things of life, it's great to get with people who are at a similar place and then you can branch out to get to know all the generations. What you do in a focus team after you meet your group on January 29th after our evening worship, there will be five focus weekends through the year. And, and on those weekends, what we try to do with our church calendar is have nothing else planned on those weekends except the focus weekend. Because what we want our focus groups to do is to pick any time in your group that works best to meet together during that weekend. It can be Friday night, it can be Saturday morning, it can be Saturday night, any time Sunday around our services. A lot of groups like to meet after Sunday evening worship services in their home or the gym is always an option as well. I want those groups to get together. And they'll come together, they'll eat a meal together, your group will plan what you want to do for food. Don't wear yourself out on that. We don't want the food to become a frustration with this. So if, you, if it's a, a month that you feel like, you know, food's hard to get together, we're just going to get pizza, we're just going to have desserts or whatever. We, we just want you to get together and spend some time together. And then we'll have a sheet we give every group that you'll have a short devotional time together, led by your group leader, and a time of praying together. And so it's simple. You're, you're getting to be together. You're getting to talk about faith together for a few minutes. And then the last thing is you'll have some card sending opportunities that come along with this. At random times through the year, our secretaries will give a, a list of card sending opportunities to your group leader. By the way, we do need group leaders. If you can volunteer to help us with that, guys, we'd love for you to, to be a group leader. And he'll, that group leader will pass out to the group. Here's some opportunities to send cards. So there's an outreach piece to this as well encouraging others' peace as well. I cannot recommend highly enough being in a focus team. Uh, people that have moved away from Great Oaks, as we talk about times that they had here at Great Oaks, some of their favorite memories are times together with their focus groups. Uh, it's a great way to connect. It's a great way to stay connected. And we hope you can sign up for that. I will still be your friend if you do not sign up for focus teams. But I really think you would benefit and enjoy uh, being part of focus team. So 
We have sign-up sheets in the back. You also see QR codes in the bulletin and on the announcements. Please sign up for that if you can. Let us know if you have any questions. Last week, we introduced our theme for the year from Nehemiah 2.18. Nehemiah says to the people, Jerusalem has been in shambles long enough. Let us, try, let us build the, the wall of Jerusalem again. And the people's response was what our theme is. Let us arise and build. And so we're going to try to encourage ourselves to do that this year. We're going to study through Ezra and Nehemiah with our Lads Leaders program starting in February. But this morning we're going to start a few weeks of our first series that goes along with that theme. I hope it'll be a good one. Let's start with a prayer and then we'll get started. Let's pray. God, you've been so good to us. You've always been there. You've always cared about us. You've always loved us. And God, we're thankful that you're our rock and our protector. We're so thankful this morning for your church. We're thankful that you brought us together with other people who are following you. I'm thankful for those here today, Lord, that are seeking you and thinking about whether they want to become Christians. God, I pray you'd work in their hearts and their lives and help them to make that most important decision at the right time. God, I'm thankful that we can worship together and study together. And I pray that as we study together this morning, that what will be said is what you want to be said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to spend this week and the next two weeks on a series that we're calling Seeking God's Foundation. So let me say a few things about the series, and then we'll talk about our topic for today. So what do we mean by Seeking God's Foundation? Well, a few verses to write down if you're keeping the outline with us that go along with this foundation series. If you're here last week, after we introduced the let us arise and build idea from Nehemiah, we pointed out that that arise and build idea is in the New Testament as well. And it goes along with the church. So here in Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 19, Paul says, So you're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. I've always loved the description of the church as God's household. We're trying to be a family. We're trying to really be there for each other. But then look at verse 20, key verse for this series. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets... Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. God gave a foundation for his church. And as it was built, it was supposed to be built on that foundation. And so as we are added to the church, and that's what these next two verses say, as we all come to Christ, we're added to the church. But our faith and what we practice and how we do things as a church needs to always go back and say, are we building on that foundation? Because if we're not, we're going in the wrong direction. No matter how good it might sound to us, no matter, no matter what everybody else is doing, I want to trust God and His plan, and I want to build on His foundation. We just sang a song a minute ago that echoes Matthew chapter 7, what Jesus said about the rock and the sinking sand, if you noticed in the last song. As Jesus got near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, best known sermon of all time, He says, starting verse 24, He compares how you build your faith to a wise man or a foolish man. He said, notice what he says, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So notice there's, there's two things here. Hear the words of Christ and act on them, he says. When you do that, you are like a wise man. That's what biblical wisdom is. To, to hear God's word and to do it, to actually put it into practice. As he says, verse 25, the rain comes, the flood comes, the winds blow, they slam against the house, 
But it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. When our faith is built on doing what Jesus says, we're building it on the foundation it's supposed to be built on. But, Jesus says, verse 26, If you hear these words of mine and do not act on them, if you see what God says and you don't do it, He says, you'll be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. There's no foundation on sand. Sand shifts around. The water undercuts it. No house could stand just sitting on, on sand. He says, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. At first glance, I want to say, Jesus, that's easy. I'll just do what you say. We'll just, we'll just do what you say in the Word of God. But, but I think you know it gets harder than that. And the reason it gets harder is because there are so many other ideas floating around the world. And some are sort of half Scripture and half not Scripture. and sort of, sort of Some are half culture and half entertainment and half America. And it's hard to know what, what is God said and, and what is the world saying. Because I, I want to build my faith and we want as a church to build our church on... God's foundation. God established a church. We want to be that church. The way you do it is do what He says. One more verse on this. We'll move on. John 12, 48. Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. What's going to judge us, Jesus? The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. In other words, when you and I stand before God, and that we're all going to stand before God, the judge of the earth who created us, who gave us a time here on earth, we will all stand before Him when this life is over. And the question is not going to be, did you do what everyone else did? The question is not going to be, did people like you or not? How much money did you make? The question, the standard is going to be, how did you line up with my word, what I spoke? I want to make sure... I want to make sure I'm trying my best to do what God said because that's what's going to judge me. And so let, let's put that down and then we'll talk about our topic for today. The big idea of this whole series, we want to follow God's Word, not our own ideas. And sometimes that takes some effort. It takes an honest heart that says, I, I really want to do what God says. It takes the effort to dig in and say, what does God say? And then it takes the courage to say, I'm, I'm going to choose God even if everybody else is doing something different. I'm going to do what God says. I'm going to trust that He knows what He's talking about. So that's what we want to be as a church, I hope. I think that's what we're trying to be. That's what I want to be as a Christian, and that's what we'll talk about in this series. So I've got three different topics we're going to talk about in the series. And we're talking about these not to win arguments. I could care less about winning arguments. i got better things to do. We talk about these things because, because God has said something about them. And we want to do what God says. Now, if I'm going to be judged by God's Word, I want to know what God says about these things. And these are topics that have different ideas in our religious world. I've got family and friends that believe differently. You've got family and friends that believe differently. We want to talk about them humbly, but we want to know what, what God says. And we want to share that as best we can. And so this morning's topic for the rest of our time, what does the Bible say about baptism? The easy, well, I guess the first answer is it says a lot. And so I'm going to take advantage of PowerPoint today. And if you're keeping the outline, you can jot these down as quick as you can. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of verses up here. Um, these are always recorded. If you want to go back and check online to, to recheck these and reread these, I'd encourage that. I've tried to divide all that it says into three things that I think we need to know for our divided religious world today. 
three things the Bible says about baptism that I think we really need to know. So we'll do our best with that, and I hope it will be a good study. Number one, if you read your New Testament and just ask, what does the Bible say about baptism? Not what do people say, what does the Bible say? I think you'll find preaching Jesus includes preaching baptism. I hope that makes sense. But not everyone does that. Not, not everyone who preaches Jesus talks about baptism. And there's a biblical problem there. Because in the Bible, those things go together. For example, what Ian just read a minute ago in Acts chapter 8. Did you notice what's happening? Philip is not the apostle Philip. This is Philip, one of the seven, who was appointed in, the, in Acts chapter 6. He's going around preaching. And God leads him to talk to a, uh, an, a eunuch who is coming back home from Jerusalem worshiping. And he is preaching Jesus to him, verse 35. As they're going along, verse 36, they come to some water, and the eunuch says, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? And as I heard someone say years ago, it still makes sense to me, where did he even get the idea of baptism? He's talking about Jesus, and when you talk about Jesus, baptism's going to come up. It's all over the story of Jesus. It's all over the message of Jesus. You can't accurately tell the message of Jesus without talking about baptism. Let me share a few examples. Mark chapter 1. Jesus himself is baptized. Jesus himself takes this step to show us this is part of the plan. This is part of what God wants of us. Verse 9 says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. If anybody could have said they're too good for baptism and don't need it and we'll do things differently, it was Jesus. But Jesus is baptized by his cousin, John, in the Jordan River. Remember, he comes out from the water in verse 10. The Spirit descends on him like a dove and the Father, God the Father speaks from heaven in verse 11. He says, you're my beloved son in you I am well pleased. So Jesus himself was baptized while he was Preaching, Jesus was teaching other people to be baptized. We see that in John chapter 3 and verse 22. Jesus and his disciples, they come to the land of Judea. It's the area around Jerusalem. He's spending time there with them and he is baptizing. Now, if you know your Bible, just a few verses later, it says Jesus himself actually didn't physically do the baptizing. His disciples did that for him. But Jesus is telling people, you need to be baptized. And then the apostles would baptize them in water. So Jesus was baptized. He taught people to be baptized. And then at the very end of his ministry, he says the whole world needs to be baptized into Christ. Verse 18 of Matthew 28. Jesus comes to his apostles. This is after he's risen from the dead. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. How do we do that, Jesus? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. You cannot tell the story of Jesus without talking about baptism. Jesus was baptized. He taught people to be baptized. He said the whole world needs to be baptized to become a follower of His. When Philip preached Jesus... Of course he talked about baptism. Why do we even need to say it? Sadly, it's not talked about a lot. It's become a divisive topic as, as time has gone on, and there's a history behind that, I suppose, that we could dig into sometime if you're interested. Um, but the sad situation is not everybody wants to talk about baptism. But if I'm going to be judged by Scripture, I want to know what Scripture says. And it says a lot about baptism. Second thing this morning, 
God connects in the Bible, He connects His salvation promises to baptism. In other words, what we're going to do here, we're just going to put verses on the screen and ask ourselves, what does God say happens in baptism according to that verse? And we're just going to let God speak on it. And I know there's debates and discussions and all that. We're just going to let God speak on what does He say happens. Because there's a lot of different ideas on what, what it, it's good for or not good for. What does God say? I think you'll find, as I put there, God's salvation promises are attached to baptism. And that's His choice. God could do whatever He wanted. But He said when you're baptized is when I add all these blessings of salvation. Let's see it. Matthew 28, we just read this. How do you become a disciple of Jesus? Matthew 28, 19, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's when you are made a disciple of Jesus Christ. How do you cross over from being not a disciple of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus? Matthew 28, 19 says, that happens in baptism. You're baptized to become a disciple. John 3, verse 5, Jesus is talking here to Nicodemus. He said, he's talking about the new birth. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In John chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. Later in John chapter 3 is where we just read that he's telling other people to be baptized. And then right in the middle of all that, he says, You must be born of water and the Spirit. What's born of water? All over the Gospels, it's... Being baptized in water. There's a new birth there that happens. You're, you're born in water. You go from the old self to the new self. You're born in water. How do, you, how do you enter the kingdom of God? How do you go from outside the kingdom of God to into the kingdom of God? John 3 says that happens in baptism. You're born of water and the Spirit. It's not just water. God comes to live in you in some way in baptism. Write down Acts 2.38. Again, we're just asking the question. What, what does God say He does in baptism? Here in Acts chapter 2, 38, Peter is preaching to the crowd who has just asked, what do we do? So they believe in Jesus now. What do we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized. And there's three things connected to it. I've underlined two of them. In the name of Jesus Christ. So it's, it's Jesus' baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Sin is our problem. From beginning to end of Scripture, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what breaks our life. Sin is what, what makes everything go in a wrong direction in Scripture and in our lives. How do you get forgiven of that? How do you stand before the, the God who is just forgiveness of sins is given in baptism? It also says the gift of the Holy Spirit is given in baptism. God lives in His people in some way. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. That happens in baptism. How do you go from unforgiven to forgiven? Acts 2.38 says that happens by God in baptism. Acts 22.16 says something very similar. This is the story of Paul. Remember how Paul, he is before he becomes a Christian, he's killing Christians. Uh, he thinks that's the right thing to do. And, and then he meets Jesus on the road. And this is interesting because this, he's not baptized till three days later. It says Paul was there three days and he was praying. So, so praying has not been everything that God wanted out of Paul. He obviously believes in Jesus because you just met him on the road. How can you not believe in him? So, so prayer and belief was not the end of the story. What does, he, what does he still have to do? Acts 22, 16, 
Ananias says to Paul, why do you delay? What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. We just said sin is our problem. Sin is what separates us from God. How do you get those sins washed away in God's eyes? God says, I do that in baptism. So even though Paul had been praying for three days, prayer wasn't enough to have his sins washed away. Even though he believed in Jesus for three days, that wasn't enough to have his sins washed away. He still had to take that step where all those things came together and God would wash his sins away in baptism. I've wondered why God chose baptism. He could have chose anything. He could have chose all sorts of things. Maybe God wants us to see with our eyes physically what He is doing spiritually. We see the water, you go in the water, you come back up. You're, you're washed in a sense. God is washing our sins away spiritually when that happens. A few more of these. Romans chapter 6. There's a lot of them. I, I've not put all of them up here, believe it or not, this morning, if you haven't studied this before. But again, we're asking the question, what does God say He does in baptism? Romans 6.3 says, we are baptized into Christ. Notice that phrase. That's a really important phrase. You're baptized into Christ. How do you go from outside of Christ to into Christ? Baptism, he says, is the act that puts you into Christ. Uh, I've heard the illustration before. How do you go from outside the room to inside the room? If someone says he walked into the room, well, that means he started outside the room. And, he, and then he walked in. That, that's the common sense of that statement. If you're baptized into Christ, that means when you started, you were not in Christ, and you're baptized into Him. Notice what verse 3 also says that puts us into, is into His death. We cannot be saved without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Baptism puts us into the saving death of Jesus Christ. You notice verse 4, that word burial, I didn't underline it but he says we've been buried with him through baptism into death. That's one of the places that lets us know what baptism was in the New Testament. It was a burial. It wasn't a sprinkling. It was a burial. You went all the way down. You came all the way up. And that's what is described right there. You're buried with him through baptism, and you're raised back up to walk a new life. How do you go from the old life to the new life? How do you go from outside the death of Jesus to into the death of Jesus? God says those things happen in baptism. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Same phrase, all of you who were baptized into Christ, same idea, have clothed yourselves with Christ. How, how, do you, how do you put Christ on? How do you take on His teachings? When you and I stand before God in the last day, none of us are going to be able to stand and say, look how good I was. Look at, look at how perfect I was. None of us will be able to say that. What we're counting on, is that when God looks at us, what He's going to see is Jesus Christ. He's going to see that we've been covered with Jesus, with His blood, with His salvation. How does that happen? How do you, how do you cover yourself with Jesus? God says, I do that when you're baptized into Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 If God wanted to express to us how important baptism is in His plan, it's hard for me to see how He could have said it more bluntly than 1 Peter 3.21. He's, he's talking about Noah and how Noah was saved by passing through the water. And verse 21 says, corresponding to that, just how Noah was saved through the water, baptism now saves you. Now, I think we know what he means. Jesus saves us through baptism. That's what the rest of the verse goes on to say. It's not that the water is magical, but in baptism you're saved. As, how do you even put 
Mark 16, 16 up here. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 15, and 16. Same idea. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, he says. It's not because you're taking a bath. It's an appeal to God for a good conscience. You're saying to God when you're baptized, God, you said you would save me in this baptism, and I'm being baptized into you. And where does the power come from? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the rest of that verse says. Baptism now saves you. How do you go from not being saved through Christ to being saved in Christ? God says that happens in baptism. Then one more verse on this one, then we'll go to our our last point. Colossians 2.12 He says, you've been buried with Him in baptism. Again, it's a burial in which you were raised up with Him through faith in the working of God. Someone says, I I thought the Bible said that faith saved you. Yes, it does. It does say that. When does faith save you? Not just when you think it. Paul had thought it for three days. The demons have faith, James chapter 2 says. When does faith save us? Colossians 2.12 is one of the places that shows us. We're saved by faith in baptism. It's when it's not just baptism. It's not baptism only. We can't just go out and start tackling people in the water and saying they've been baptized and they'll be saved. They've got to have their own faith. It's not faith only. It's not for children who don't have their own faith yet. When faith and baptism come together, that's when God saves. That's when we're united with Jesus Christ. We're raised up with Him. And so baptism, it, it, to put it all, to make sure we see it clearly, we're not saved by faith only. We're not saved by baptism only. But when faith and baptism are brought together, that's when all these promises are given. My last point, and so I hope, I hope all that makes sense. Ask questions if you have questions. I'm, uh, I'm always trying to learn like you are. Uh, let me know if you think I've missed something on that. But God connects His salvation promises to baptism. We need to let people know that because not everybody says that today, but it's in the Bible. Number three, last thing. The Bible teaches baptism is important important enough to make sure we've done it right. In other words, with all these different ideas of baptism, a lot of times good-hearted people will hear something and they'll be baptized a different way from the way the Bible describes. They're just trying to do their best. That's what they were taught. Um, but as people see what God says, sometimes the question comes up, well, should I do it? Should I do it again? Like, should I, should I be baptized again to, to do it God's way? And I think the answer to that biblically is yes. I think the reason for that, you'll see in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. It's the only example you have in Scripture of what we sometimes call rebaptism. And I don't know if rebaptism is the right phrase for that, but this is a group of people who had been baptized, and as they thought through it with the help of the Apostle Paul, they were told, you do it right. You do it God's way. And here's the few verses right before that. There's a Jew named Apollos. He is a great speaker. He knows the Scriptures. But you notice in Acts 18.25, he's been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he is speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So he's talking to people about Jesus, isn't he, in verse 25? He's telling people about Jesus. But when they want to respond to it, he doesn't know about Jesus' baptism. All he knows about is John's baptism. Jesus preached a baptism into him, into into his blessings and his sacrifice and and the cross of Jesus. These guys had only heard about John's baptism. Now, John's baptism is very similar. You went all the way in water, you came back up, and you tried to live a better life for God. So they'd done a lot of things that looked the same. The only difference, and this is important, the only difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism is the purpose. 
Why were you going in the water? In Jesus' baptism, it's to be united with Jesus Christ and all the blessings we just saw, forgiveness, salvation, put in the church, all those sorts of things. Uh, the church of, that Jesus established. All those things happen. John's baptism is similar but different. So it, it happens in Acts chapter 19. Apollos leaves where he's been preaching, and Paul comes into Ephesus where Apollos had been preaching to people. And he finds some people who look to him like disciples. They listen to Apollos. Verse 2, Paul says to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, No, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And then Paul asked, Into what then were you baptized? Now, why did Paul ask about baptism? I think what Paul wanted to do here, let me go back to to verse 2. The apostles had the ability in the Bible to put their hands on people and to pray, and God would give them the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. These miraculous gifts where they could speak in tongues or, or, or share a message that God would help them with, prophecy, that sort of thing. And so I think Paul was asking, did you receive the Holy Spirit so that I can lay hands on you and give you the Holy Spirit so you can speak the words of God? And they, when they say, we don't know if there is a Holy Spirit, Paul begins to wonder about their baptism. Because Christian baptism is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So if these guys don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit... What was their baptism? That's Paul's question. Paul said, after they told him, verse 3, we were baptized into John's baptism. Again, very similar. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people who to, to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I always think it's worth pointing out here, Paul did not say... Hey, you guys have done pretty good. You did your best. Just, just stay where you're at. He didn't say that. He didn't say, we know God will take care of all that. Don't worry about it. You, you were baptized and it's almost the same. He didn't do that. What Paul must have said was, you need to do it right. Or else they wouldn't have done it. <laughs> and in verse 5, even though they had been baptized in John with a different purpose, they were baptized into Jesus Christ. I say all that to say, the Bible teaches... Baptism is important enough to do it right. Make sure you've done it right. Now, I'll let God handle in eternity and final judgment everybody who did their best in baptism. But I, don't want, I trust God on that. But I'm not going to make promises that God hasn't made. And what I want to do is what Paul did. When I talk to people, starting with myself, who, who are asking the question, have I been baptized the way Jesus describes it, the way God describes it in Scripture? And if I find that I haven't been, I want to say, yes, it's important enough to make sure you've done it right. Because we have an example of that in Scripture. And there are people in this room who, who were honest-hearted enough between them and God, who even though they had been baptized to the best of their ability at some point growing up or at some point in their past, as they saw what Scripture said about baptism, they were honest enough to say, I don't think that's what I did. I don't think I was being baptized into Jesus. I don't think I was being baptized to have my sins washed away. I think I was being baptized for a different reason. And they, they instead took the courage and the step that said, I need to do it right. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that type of faith. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to think that's all of us. We really want to do what God wants us to do. So we end this morning where we started. Philip preaching Jesus, that message includes baptism. And that's why the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 36 said, I need to be baptized. We talk about this again, not to win an argument, 
We talk about this because we want to be right with God. And there's some really important things in Scripture that are connected with baptism. We want to make sure we've done it right. If you have questions about this, if you'd like us to pray with you about this as you're thinking through it, we'd love to do that. It's, it's an important thing, as you can see in Scripture. It's part of the message of Jesus. Let's obey it to the best of our ability. Let's make sure we have tried to be baptized into Jesus the way they did it in the New Testament. And let's try to teach that. Our world, our religious world needs to hear that. If you have questions, we can help you in any way. You're always welcome to talk with us. We are trying to help each other be right with the Lord. And we'd love to talk with you if you can. But maybe you've already been thinking, maybe you've been going through these steps that the Bible describes. These steps of of drawing closer to Jesus Christ where you hear about Him, you, you come to believe in Him. Uh, You make the commitment to repent. Why not take that step where those things all come together? You can confess your faith in Jesus this morning if you're ready for that and have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. Rise to walk a new life. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret the decision of being baptized in Jesus. If you're ready for that, we'd love to see you take that step. What are you waiting for, as Paul was told? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized if you're ready for that. Or if we can pray for you about anything. If there's sin or struggle in your life, we'd love to lift you up before the throne of God this morning. If we can help you in any way publicly, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing.